Welcome to Nancy's Bookshelf, a weekly program of conversations with North State and national writers from North State Public Radio. Now here's your host, Nancy Wickman. Sarah Brown is a cat behavior expert with 30 years experience working with cats and their owners, with rescue organizations and in the pet industry. At the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom, Sarah Brown earned a Ph.D. on the social behavior of neutered domestic cats. Since then, she has worked as an independent cat behavior counselor, as a consultant for the cat toy industry, and has conducted research for U.K. animal charities. Sarah Brown wrote A Natural and Cultural History of the Cat, co-wrote a book about the behavior of the domestic cat, and contributed to an edition of The Biology and Behavior of the Domestic Cat. She now has a new book, The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. Sarah Brown, welcome. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Well, if I may, I want to give credit to your illustrator because the word that came to mind when I looked at the illustrations were that they were lovingly illustrated. <laughs> so I looked to see who did the illustrations, and it was somebody named Hetty Brown. That's right. Yes. Hetty's my daughter, actually. Um, <laughs> That's what I so suspected. There, How talented. There is a lot of love in them. <laughs> yes. And yes, then, she was. And then as I went into your book and came across the word gentling, you say that one of your favorite words for human-animal interactions is gentling. I thought, yeah, these illustrations are gentle. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. So I, I really enjoyed the collaboration, is probably what it was, between your writing and your daughter's illustrations. So Yeah, we had we had so much fun doing them because obviously she, you know, she's lived with me all her life and uh, she <laughs> she knows a bit about cats and and so I'm a terrible uh, I can't draw a terrible artist, so I can't <laughs> draw anything. So I would do terrible scribbled sketches and say you know can you make that look like I want it to or just describe it to her and she somehow got what I was trying to say most of the time <laughs> and um yeah we we got some fun drawings out of that and I it occurred to me that uh, illustrators who illustrate say children's books with cats in them would it would behoove them to read your book and say oh when I illustrate this cat in this situation, I should draw the tail this way or the whiskers that way. So. <laughs> I hope so. I hope that would be useful to other people. Yes. <laughs> okay. I want to give the title of your book again, The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. And with that word meow in the title of your book, I want to start with, why do cats meow at us? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, that is the question, and, and um, it's very interesting because cats, when I studied cats for my um, doctorate many years ago, I found that the cats didn't meow to each other in the colonies that I studied. Um, but cats quite obviously do meow to people, and, and it seems that that is how they've developed their meows, to, to communicate with us. And I think that's because they've worked out that we don't really understand their very subtle you know, normal signals for them with, you know, scent marking type signals. They like scent as their go-to communication style. And so they've worked out that we talk to each other all the time. We talk to everything and we talk to the cats. And so they use vocalizations. And uh, yeah, meow is the go-to <laughs> noise for them. Well, there were several things that surprised me about that. One, you say cats meow to us, but not to each other. Yes, right. I mean, some cats meow to each other, but it's much rarer than, mm -hmm. you know, their use towards us. And then you also uh, distinguished the meows of feral cats versus domestic cats. And how does that differ? Yes, yes so th this is the other interesting thing. So ca domestic cats, compared with both feral cats and their ancestral species, the African wildcat, domestic cats have a much higher-pitched meow. Um, and it seems like they've developed this meow because it sounds much sweeter to the human ear and probably not coincidentally, it's very uh, similarly pitched to the to the um, cry of a human baby. So probably that's why we find them very hard to ignore because they've tuned into that, that one pitch that gets us. And you talked about the sounds that, say, mother cats make to their kittens. How does that work? So kittens do mew to their mothers, um, and you know they, it's, it's a very sort of 
um, tiny version of the adult cat, cat meow, but mother cats make a sort of um, trill, chirrupy sound to their kittens, which is also similar to the noise that adult cats might might use to a human. You sometimes hear it within a meow, a little, you know, that sort of noise, um, which people <laughs> recognise. And yeah. that's the noise that mother cats make to their kittens. Yeah, in fact, when I would read your uh, letters that you would use for the sounds, I would try to make these sounds myself. Hmm. What is she? <laughs> what is <laughs> um, also, I found it interesting that you say we don't need to adjust our pitch for cats for to actually for them to hear us, because their hearing range is one of the widest tested in mammals. That's right; they can hear. Uh, an amazing they can hear all the sounds that we hear and more you know higher ones much higher ones they can hear the noises that mice make and other rodents so yes if they pretend not to hear us they're, they're <laughs> well a lot of times when I was reading what you would write I would think about dogs and I think well dogs have very acute hearing but I didn't know that cats hearing range is one of the widest in mammals and they yeah, cover right. wider octaves compared to ours, so. And you just yeah, another interesting thing about those sounds is that we tend to talk to them with a really high-pitched voice, mm -hmm. you know, a very uh, baby talk type voice. For some reason, we, we've chosen to do that. And, and, you know, people wonder why we do that. Is it because, you know, we think they're our babies or is it because they're meowing to us at a higher pitch? And so we use this motherese type baby talk back to them. It's very interesting the way we speak to each other. <laughs> And then you would uh, test cats' reaction with strangers and with their owners. And what did you find there? Like you, the, the owner would call the cat's name, for example. Um, so there was, the, yeah, that's not my research. That was someone else's research. But the, there was a, there's some studies done that, that show that if they're presented, if cats are presented with a series of words that sound like their name, um, this is one, one, one test they did, that sound like their name, and then in the middle of it, there is their name. They they will pick out, you know, they will react more to the one that is actually their name, indicating that they recognize their names amongst all the other words that we use, even though they might pretend to ignore us when we call their name. Because um, a word that often is used to describe cats is aloof. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that's partly why I wrote the book, to be honest, because mm -hmm. I so often hear them described like that, cool, aloof, or... Mm -hmm. uncommunicative and especially when people compare them to dogs and I've always thought that was a little bit harsh because they actually have a, a lot to say for themselves they just have a different more subtle style of communication mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of one of the myths that you wanted to dispel would you say so absolutely yes I, I definitely want people to look a bit closer at their cats and think about what they're seeing and smelling and hearing and and work out, you know, how best to interact with them with, with our sort of, you know, different communication styles. So there, that's why I, I went about it. I put all the, found all the scientific studies that have been done and combined it with some stories of my own and, and, and the illustrations and put it together in a book so that people would think about their cats a bit more and look at them anew. My guest is Dr. Sarah Brown. Her book is The Hidden Language of Cats, how they have us at meow. And uh, Dr. Brown, when I saw the first your book before I started reading it, oh, doctor, she must be a veterinarian. But the kinds of information you have in your book, I don't think is taught in vet schools. Um, no, well, probably maybe more so these days. I think they try and include a lot of um, animal behavior in the veterinary curriculum. But, um, no, I had no veterinary training. I, I just um, <laughs> watched You're a cats. scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a scientist, yeah. And I, I studied cats as for, for a PhD um, initially and sort of went from there for the rest of my career. But yeah, it's all started with just watching cats for my doctorate. Well, you did mention that the ancestors of our cats are African wildcats. So That's right. we know that dogs... Uh, their ancestors lived in packs, but how did cats become these friendly social pets when they're descended from solitary creatures? I know it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that that's part of the uh, miracle, I think, because they, you know, they didn't have these social ancestors like dogs had wolves as ancestors with these already developed social signals. 
cats live, the cats came from the North African wildcat, which was a solitary living wildcat um, and, and still is. Uh, and it's thought that the, our relationship began with this wildcat around 10,000 years ago when human communities started changing from their hunter-gathering way of life to growing crops. And so settlements developed. And in these new farming communities, they developed um, stores of grain. And, and these stores of grain began to attract rodents. And then these rodents in, in turn attracted the attentions of the wildcats that would have been living in the same area. And they would hang around the grain stores hoping for a, um, a mouse or two. And then they think, they think that the farmers, you know, probably realized these wildcats were useful as pest controllers and so tolerated them hanging around. And over time, the wildcats, you know, adapted to the constant presence of humans and other cats and maybe ventured into the farmers' homes and, and learnt new signals to communicate with both humans and other cats. And that's sort of the way they self-domesticated themselves, if you like, and, and the rest is really history. <laughs> they, they followed us thereafter. So out on their own, they didn't use meows, but with us humans, they realized, hmm, need to meow to these humans. So your book can help us understand our cats better, like from the tone of their meow. But there's another sound that I find really pleasing, and that's the purring of a cat. Yes. Well, and, that's a bird. Yeah, yeah. And so, so why do cat and how do they purr? How do they make that sound? I mean, I sometimes feel like uh, purring myself, but I can't purr. <laughs> How do cats purr? And some some big cats can't purr either. It's it's all to do with the structure of their um, vocal cords. The big the big sort of roaring cats, uh, they roar instead of purring. Whereas uh, domestic cats and some other smaller cats, they purr, and it's to do with the um, movements of the vocal cords. But um, yeah, so I mean, it's generally considered as you probably know as as a contented sound cats purr when they're mm. on your lap and they purr when they're tiny kittens with their mum you know um nursing and curled up with their siblings um but it also occurs which which is always a little bit confusing when they're stressed or or sometimes if they're in pain they will purr and so it's thought that perhaps it's not just contentment it's more of a self-soothing type of noise well i do know that say if a dog hasn't seen its owner in a long time it gets really excited happy to see the owner but it didn't occur to me that cats reacted differently if their owner was gone for a little while versus gone for a long while and what did you discover about cats when they hadn't seen their owner in a longer time um yeah so that's not not actually my work but i what i i think what What's really interested is how, when they, the way they use their tail when they see their owner, um, and you see them come, when, you, when the owner comes in and they approach, the cat approaches with its tail straight up, and when they're really, really excited to see their owner, it starts to quiver, you know, with excitement. And I just think it's, it's such a good indicator of how excited they are to see their owner. And yeah, the tail signals are really interesting. Well, and you them. say they purr longer, but but uh, I look now at other uh, pictures, illustrations of cats, and I look at the tail because so often this tail up, you even capitalize T in the up, um, yeah. because it's so common, and uh, you even label it an icebreaker. In what sense is having the tail up an icebreaker for cats? So yeah, this was one of the main findings I I found in my um, doctorate studies. So I studied two groups of feral colonies in, in England and watched what they did and analysed all the sequences of behaviours that one cat used to another and I found that one of the most important behaviours that they used in their interactions was this tail up signal. So it's when they just walk up and put their tail vertically as they approach another cat and I discovered when one cat approached another with its tail up like this it was nearly always followed by friendly amicable behaviour like rubbing or grooming or just generally sitting together. Whereas if they approached with their tail down, um, you know, the outcome was often a bit more mixed. And so tail up is really a, a sign of, you know, I come in peace and I, and I want to, I'm greeting you and I want to interact and be friendly with you. And then they use it in the same way with us. Well, we can see the tail is a really obvious, it's easily spotted, but you also mentioned that 
uh, the ears, the way they flick their ears, there's information there. And what information yes. is in the t ears? Well, it is, although you just think they, um, you know, they're just moving about all the time. They actually have um, seven different movements that have been recorded for, <laughs> the, for the ears. And, uh, you know, just looking at them, you'd never think that. The ears are so mobile, they can, you know, rotate them 180 degrees. And um, obviously they can hear an awful lot more than they let on. Um, yeah, so there's some... Um, other research have done researchers have done studies that show that perhaps the ear positions might be just as important to um, cats when they're seeing another cat as the tail positions, which is not something that I studied. But um, having their ears erect, you know, straight up, is a, is a sort of contented, happy sign. Whereas if they got their ears down or flat, flat is normally a, a frightened cat or a, or a defensive cat. Whereas and swivel backwards is normally much more aggressive. So there's all these different types of ear positions that if we look very carefully, we can pick up. Well, you say that us humans notice the, um, the tail first, but you say that uh, the ear position, when a cat encounters another cat, the ear position is more important than the tail. Well, this this is a new finding by some French researchers. So um, yeah, it's... it's I mean, I think personally that that both are very important. So I think probably the thing that a cat would see first when another cat approaches is the tail, where it's such a you know it's such a obvious signal because it's you know it's taller, <laughs> and the ears maybe come into play, you know, as they get closer. And you also tell us that I mean, we humans can't move our ears. Some people can move their ears a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> but cats can rotate the ears independently. <laughs> yes, amazing. So they can, you know, listen in all directions. <laughs> Although they do a good act of not doing that quite often, you know, pretend, you know, pretending that they can't hear anything. Whereas I think they're just always monitoring everything around them. We just, we just don't always see that. My guest is Dr. Sarah Brown, and she's a scientist who studies cats. And her book is The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. We'll be back to continue our conversation after a short break. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wiegman. I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, Dr. Sarah Brown, who's written a book about the hidden language of cats, how they have a set meow. Now, we've been talking about different ways that cats communicate their hidden language. It's hidden because we don't always realize how much information is available to us. And the meow, the sound they make, is one source of information. You mentioned the tail the ears, and then what about scent? Yes, yeah, so scent is is the go-to way of communicating for cats because that's what their solitary ancestors would have done, and and it worked very well over a you know long distance. And even though our cats today have lots of other signals, they still use scent all the time in their lives. So they take scratching, for instance. We think when we see a cat scratching a scratching post or the couch if you're, if you're unlucky mm. but they're just sharpening their claws or just keeping them healthy by removing the outer husks of the claw but actually scratching also serves a social signal as they have little um, scent glands between their toes and so as they scratch they leave a scent signal um, which which is you know a reassuring thing for them to to mark their you know their territory 
and um, it also leaves a visual mark as well, which is also important to them, as we as we well know, that we can see. You mentioned the scent glands, and um, uh, dogs have that in their tail. But you say the cats, it, it's not just in the tail, and you mentioned the scent glands in their head, and you just yeah. mentioned in the claws. I never would have guessed <laughs> all these yeah, scent so when glands. They bump- they rub on uh, on objects. Um, you see them rubbing their face and their chin. They've got scent glands under their chin, along the side of their face, and when you see them rubbing, you know, along the side of the doorpost or wherever. Sometimes you can find um, a little smudge there. Sometimes you can see the deposits from their scent glands if they do it repeatedly. But yeah, that's that's what they do when they're marking uh, a surface with their chin. Well, you mentioned that um, the rubbing is a way of scent transfer, but a lot of times a human will walk up to a cat or a cat will walk up and they will touch, and the only way that they really can if the adult is standing, if the human is standing up, and that is the legs. And um, I notice it seems that humans react to this positively. So is, what do the cats mean when they're rubbing the human's legs? Yeah, so they rub our legs um, in almost exactly the same way as they would rub on another cat. It's called aloe rubbing, and you know when it's one cat to another cat, and you know cats come and rub each other's, you know, one head on the other. Whereas obviously a cat approaching a human can't quite reach that, you know, head. So they rub on our legs, and you know, as you know, round and round, sometimes through our legs, and sometimes up and you know backwards and forwards along our legs. And it's thought that that this is um. Partly, you know, partly scent marking, perhaps, but also very much a tactile experience. So they enjoy that process of actually touching you or touching another cat. And and we reciprocate by, you know, bending down and petting them, which is also, a, you know, a tactile interaction. And that, that's supposed to be part of that whole uh, whole process is is enjoying the, the sensation of, of touch. And you say that skin is underrated. <laughs> Very much so, yes. <laughs> and you say that cats are attuned to touch even their whiskers. And, uh, I, of course, the obvious place of whiskers is the upper lip, but there are other places they have whiskers. Yeah, so they have whiskers, you know, above their, above their eyes, on their cheeks, and they even have some whiskers behind their front legs um, that, we, that we don't very often see. <laughs> And you mentioned a couple of hormones, and one is familiar, like mothers and their babies, and oxytocin is referred to as the love hormone, and it reduces the stress hormone cortisol. So uh, what does your scientific, your studies reveal about oxytocin in cats? So yeah, there's there's been quite a few studies uh, of, of this, not, not my own, but... Um is to do with this touching so when it's thought that when and it's not just with cats but when you when you stroke a cat or when you experience stroking a cat yourself that it does release oxytocin in the brain and then that that is supposed to form two functions it's originally thought that it was just solely um a feel-good hormone but now it's thought that perhaps it heightens the person or the cat to have more heightened senses so if they're experiencing you know some uh, say another cat that they're affectionate with that's that's a good feeling but it also heightens their attention to dangers around them and so yeah this is all sort of fairly new so I think that's uh, some areas of science that will grow in the in the coming years. It also surprised me where the rise in oxytocin can be measured and you say that's in saliva. Uh, yes, as I say, this is my work, so I, I've only really summarised the studies in, in my book. But um, yeah, they, they measure oxytocin in saliva. They can also measure it in other bodily fluids. But saliva is obviously the least invasive sort of way of measuring rises in oxytocin. So that's the sort of way that scientists like to do it in animals like cats and dogs and other domestic species, just to see, you know, as, as an easy gauge of of whether it's rising in certain, you know, certain interactive situations. Well, while we're in the mouth, <laughs> I'd like you to tell us about <laughs> the cat's tongue. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they have these amazing, as, as anybody that's ever been licked by a cat will know, have amazing 
backward facing um, papillae on their tongues that um, are actually meant for stripping meat off bones originally because you know they were the carnivores that needed to get every scrap of meat off a bone um, and but they also form very good grooming tools so as everybody knows cats are very clean animals they love to groom endlessly and this these these barbs on their tongue form sort of combs basically to to work through the fur and get all the rubbish out and all the bits so yeah very handy tool is the cat tongue they can groom themselves but also the mother kitties uh can look not only their children but their kittens but I was surprised that females often pull their litters. And when, under what circumstances do they do that? Yeah, this is sort of the basis of um, cat society. So before I did any of my work, um, researchers would study um, colonies of farm cats. And they found that, that, these, that these groups of cats that lived, you know, say in a farm, on a farm or around the grounds of a hospital would, would live in large groups and the mothers would all pull their litters and you know nurse each other's kittens presumably to let one mother go off and hunt whilst you know whilst the kittens were being looked after by the others but but it was all very amicable and partly because a lot of them were already related so you know you know there would be sort of, sort of different generations of mothers and daughters all having their litters at the same time yeah and so all grooming as you say each other's kittens and nursing each other's kittens much like lions. Another um, indicator of cat personality, perhaps, is the color of the cat's coat. Is that related to their personality? <laughs> yes. So there's there's a long-standing associations between um, cats' coat color and and their personalities that that have gone on for years and years. You know, particularly orange cats are, are very well loved. Seem to be universally loved. They're described as friendly, goofy, charming, very charismatic cats. Excuse me, I might mention that that's on the cover of your book. You have a beautiful exactly. <laughs> orange cat on the cover of your book. Everybody loves them. And, you know, when I worked in rescue, uh, in, in, a, in an animal shelter, people would come in every day and say, oh, have you got any orange cats? And and then there's the tortoiseshell cats or calico cats, you know, which are beautiful mixtures of, of you know, orange and black or tabby coats. And, and they sadly, for some reason, have a reputation for being a bit feisty, and people say they have tortitude, and or um, <laughs> or that they're naughty torties. And uh, I always think that's a bit sad and, and a bit harsh because it's singling singling them out. Anyway, but the well, the ones that have the hardest time are definitely the black cats because they have not managed to shake off their long-standing association with witches and. Bad luck from the Middle Ages, so um, people people are suspicious of them very often, and 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 sadly too today um, a more modern hurdle is that they they don't take great photographs apparently, and people sometimes actually don't want a black cat because they can't take a good photo of a black cat, which is awful I think, but yes, but there doesn't seem to be much actual scientific basis to any of these coat color you know associations uh, in terms of their personality. What is much more important for their personality is partly what, what their parents' personality is, particularly their father. They've been shown to it's been shown that um, kittens inherit how bold they're going to be from their father, particularly. But but even more important than that is is how much handling a, a kitten gets um, at a very early age, between um, the age of two and seven weeks. This is what we call the socialization period. And they need to be handled by people for, you know, about an hour a day and as many people as possible, you know, adults, children, men, women, to make them well-rounded and, you know, happy to be around people and friendly. And, and if they miss that window and, you know, never never meet the person until they're, say, three months old, then they can quite often become quite fearful. In fact, they do become fearful of people. And these are often the cats that become feral, you know, live on the streets avoiding people. Well, we have an active community that likes to help rescue cats and hope that they will be adopted. So now you were just mentioning that, say, uh, a yellow, an orange cat would be adopted sooner than a black cat. 
might be harder. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what other uh, characteristics could make a cat more adoptable? Well, I always found that cats that had some sort of disadvantage, like a missing leg um, or, um, you know, a blind cat or a deaf cat, always, always brought out you know, obviously the softer side of people and they would they would take those cats quite readily. White cats, very popular. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, people, I mean, obviously people have their own, also have their own very strong opinions of what sort of cat they want. And, you know, they might have had a tabby cat before and they want another tabby cat or, or they've had a tabby cat before and they really don't want another tabby cat. But those sort of preconceived ideas that they, they come into the rescue shelter with and sometimes you manage to persuade them that you know you've got the perfect cat that isn't particularly the color they might have chosen um hopefully that's what you do and hopefully it's a black one but um, <laughs> well yeah what advice do you have uh for somebody say that wants to get a new cat how do you interact with a new cat or do you let the cat make the first move Yes, very much so. And and I think that's my number one <laughs> piece of advice is when you, when you meet a cat, um, let the cat lead the interaction. They, they, um, interactions with cats last longer if the cat starts it. Um, so it's okay to speak to it and obviously encourage it to come and, you know, have a chat. So possibly just offer your hand out for it to sniff, but don't force your hand on it. Let it approach your hand and sniff it. and then. Give it lots of time to do that sniffing. Don't don't rush in and start petting it the minute it comes up. Um, and you know if if that goes well and the cat's rubbing around you and you're petting it, try and be conscious of where you're stroking it. And as I mentioned before, they 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 have these glands in their face and they prefer to be stroked around the head and the chin and the ears rather than the tail or the or the belly, which can be slightly dangerous zones. <laughs> And then also, whilst you're, whilst you're interacting, observe the cat's body language whilst, whilst, you're, whilst you're stroking them. You know, if they're getting a bit fed up, they might flick their tail or just stop rubbing or even start to groom. Uh, all of which might be signs that it might be time to stop, take a break and, you know, stop the interaction for a while. Well, does your research lead you to believe that cats understand humans more than we humans understand cats? Yes, I, I think they do. I, I think they've probably worked a lot harder than we have to find new ways to talk to us. Like, you know, they came from a solitary ancestor and they've worked out, you know, how to use vocalizations and how to get our attention by rubbing around us and using tail positions. And all we do is just keep talking to them and, you know, maybe pet them. But we don't we don't really adapt our behavior hugely for cats, I find. I think I think they've worked harder at it, basically, than, than we have, which is why we need to step back and look at them a bit more and adjust the way we approach them. Well, I think your book will definitely appeal to cat lovers, but even to people who don't know they like cats, I think would be fascinated <laughs> by your research, Dr. Brown. Thank you. I hope so. I hope everyone enjoys it and, and everyone can learn just even just one more thing about their cats. And I think it's great to learn things about your own cat. And, and about ourselves in the process. And about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I'd like to remind listeners the title of your book is The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. And the author is Dr. Sarah Brown. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for having me. After a break, I'll be talking to local author Sarah Downs, who's written books about cats for children. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman.
My next guest is also a cat lover named Sarah. Recently, Sarah Downs wrote two editions of a children's book, and her recent one uh, is a new edition, Clyde's Happy Tales. But long before that, she wrote her first letter to the editor about cats when she was only 12 years old. She has devoted her life to cat rescue, educating the public about the welfare of outdoor cats and advocating for those who can't speak for themselves. Sarah Downs has a cat consulting business and takes care of the cats at Pleasant Valley High School in Chico. She is co-founder and president of Neighborhood Cat Advocates in Chico. She also takes care of us staffers here at NSPR because she is our operations manager. Sarah Downs, welcome. Thanks, Nancy. Well, I ask you here because you have a lot of experience with cats, having been a cat lover from an early age. Mm -hmm. So in your experience with cats, you, I'm sure, have suggestions of what you would like people in, in this area, in the North State, to know about cats. Yeah, so one of the things with Neighborhood Cat Advocates, the, the organization that I'm a part of, um, we do trap, neuter, return of stray and feral cats. And, you know, unfortunately, there is a, a cat overpopulation problem in Chico or in Butte County um, and in the surrounding counties, actually. So what we advocate for is um, instead of trapping cats and removing cats, we advocate for trapping cats, getting them spayed and neutered and putting them back. And the reason that is, is because when you trap cats and remove them from a location, whatever food source is still going to be there. It could be someone feeding cats or it could be, you know, an abundance of rats or mice. It could be garbage cans that they like to eat out of. So if you simply just remove those cats from that location, more cats just move in. It's called the vacuum effect. And so what we've been doing for the last 10 years is just trap, neuter, return. And in those 10 years, we've spayed and neutered over 13,000 cats. It's pretty wow. incredible. Wow. Yeah. This is my guest, Sarah Downs, and she is an author. This is a book show. She is an author. She has two editions of her children's book, Clyde's Happy Tales. But she also helps rescue cats and you say that um, that you spay help spay and neuter cats mm -hmm. and put them back out. Mm -hmm. So somebody doesn't have to adopt a cat then. No, uh, most of the cats that we deal with are either feral or stray, uh, unowned, you know, friendly cats, uh, or just cats that people have tossed outside and never got spayed and neutered, and you know that results in unwanted kittens. And the cycle just continues. So Now, you just said feral or stray, mm -hmm. and I would think they're the same things. Yeah, people get that confused a lot. Uh, feral means, you know, undomesticated entirely, has never been approached by a human, does not want anything to do with humans. <laughs> and I understand that. Um, or uh, stray is a cat that has been around humans, was domesticated um, at some point, and maybe still is. You know, a neighborhood cat that comes around um, is being fed by a handful of people, uh, is friendly and, you know, likes to be petted and that sort of thing. You know, a feral cat is, is a cat that's going to stare at you from the distance and quietly judge you. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a difference between the two, but our goal is to end the overpopulation by spaying and neutering all of these cats that are outside. Well, Sarah, suppose I don't have a cat. I would like to have a cat. Mm -hmm. Can I contact you? Are, are you the source of adoptable cats? Sometimes, yeah. I do fostering of kittens mainly. Um, and then we do have a couple of other people in the organization that also foster kittens or cats. Sometimes we encounter these adult cats in um, areas where they are unwanted. In some cases, you know, their lives are in danger because someone in the neighborhood does not want them there, but they're very friendly. And so sometimes what we can do is, is trap them and take them home and foster them out and adopt them into a family that does want them around. Um, but most of the time we have kittens from these um, cats that are, you know, feral and 
we want to get the kittens out of that situation. So we do have that also. Now, you mentioned you trap them, but now suppose I see this cat that's been in the neighborhood a while. Do I try to trap the cat myself, or is it better if I called you to do that? Yeah, so what we do is uh, we have a, a form that people can fill out on our website, and once they fill that out, we can get some information from them, uh, kind of determine what how many cats there are, um, if it's just one cat, if it's multiple cats and kittens, that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, what we usually do is take the traps to the people, show them how to use it, tell them when the appointment is, and then they do the trapping themselves. And that works out great for us because it frees us up to help more people. And these people can trap the cats kind of on their own schedule. I mean, based on when the appointment is. But if they, you know, have to go out of town or something, they can just keep the trap until they're ready to trap the cat. So, yeah. So it sounds like the best way to get in touch with you is your website. The website, yeah. We do have a a hotline, but we don't really um, use it that much. It's mostly for people who don't have the Internet or can't use the, the online form for some reason. My guest is Sarah Downs, and she is a uh, cat consultant, and she takes care of cats at Pleasant Valley High School. And uh, that seems to be fairly common that cats congregate around high schools, Sarah. It is a problem. Um, Well, it's not a problem. It can be. The, the fact that the cats are at these high schools or different locations means that you're not going to have a rodent problem. Um, the cats are going to be taking care of that. They're going to help clean up garbage that the students lay around. Um, but unfortunately, if you don't take care of the uh, spaying and neutering of these cats, you're going to end up with 50-some-odd cats, which was the situation at PV. Um, so that's sort of how I got involved. Um, we had been contacted by someone at the school about this overpopulation of cats. And so we went in there and trapped uh, somewhere around 55 cats. Um, Yeah, some of them were young enough and we could get them adopted out. Some of them, after we returned them, they just took off. And so now we're down to around 12 to 15 cats left at that school. So that's how trap... That's quite a difference. Yeah, it's quite a difference. And that's how trap neuter return works. You just kind of get the population down to a you know, just a few, and they're going to take care of the rodents, and we're going to take care of the cats. So, My guest is Sarah Downs, and she is co-founder and president of Neighborhood Cat Advocates in Chico. And now I'm going to suggest that people get pencil and paper or some way of recording your website. Mm -hmm. Sarah, can you give us that website so people can write it down? Okay, so Neighborhood Cat Advocates, uh, our website is NC a chico.org and uh, all the information is there about you know what we do how to fill out the form um how to donate (laughs) and uh, that's important too and then the website for uh my business um cat behavior consulting is chicocatlady.com it doesn't get any more simple than that well, uh, I'm chuckling because uh, you referred, you're calling yourself a cat lady, and yeah. often the word in front of the word cat lady is not Chico. It's often crazy cat lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the fact that I, I've never heard a guy call—I mean, men love cats, too, but mm-hmm. I've never heard a guy called a crazy cat man. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard it with ladies, and it seems to be, based on the book of Dr. Brown— mm-hmm that women sometimes have a greater affinity or sensitivity than yeah. men do uh, for cats. Yeah. Has that been your experience? Yeah. Um, you know, the the Internet is such an interesting place because it's true that women, women tend to be more attracted to cats and men are more attracted to dogs. But mm-hmm. if you go on the Internet, there's all these different men out there who called? There's one guy who calls himself the crazy cat guy. <laughs> um, there's Catman Chris. Uh, there's a guy who does trap neuter return in Georgia, I think, and he's called the trap neuter king or something <laughs> like that. So there are men men out there um, who have that affinity for cats and who are speaking up for cats, and I think that's really great. We need that.
Well, you mentioned, too, this spay-neuter, and I'm sure that costs a good bit if you have done that to so many cats already. So how, how is that funded? Just donations? Uh, we have an incredible structure in place. So we have our thrift store. It's called Paw Prince Thrift Boutique. It's on East First Avenue uh, across from In Motion Fitness. And that funds everything that we do. Um, and, you know, the store is doing really well. And so, so when the store is doing well, we can do more cats. Um, the other thing uh, that I should probably mention is that we this year opened our own spay and neuter clinic. And that was such a need for us because we were spending so much money on all these other vets, um, all the organizing that uh, takes place behind the scenes to get these appointments, get the cats transported to these vets, all that. There's just so much that goes on when you're trying to do trap, neuter, return. And, you know, the cats are unpredictable, too. So you don't always catch the cats that you intend to catch. Um, so opening our own spay and neuter clinic was just a big dream, and and we got it done, and we're operating now. Um, so that helps with the expense, um, but we do have to pay for, you know, a veterinarian. We do have to pay for, for the um, RVTs and all that stuff, but we're doing great, and uh, I don't think we could do any of this without our thrift store. So that's where our funding comes from. So that's another way that we as residents in this area can help. If I have something around my house that is in good shape but I can't use it, what kinds of things can people donate to your thrift shop? Uh, most anything. Um, large pieces of furniture we can't really take just because we don't have the room. Um, computers and printers, that sort of thing, um, we don't take. But everything else, we'll take it. Um, and then, of course, if you shop at our store, you're supporting us, too. So if I've got, say, a little uh, kitchen oven that I'm not using, I get a new yeah. one. And uh, so that's something that I could bring by. The, Absolutely. The Again, yeah. it's located across from In Motion Fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a cute little store. We've got it organized and clean, and the prices are great. I mean... And, and t say again the name of the store because I think it's cute. <laughs> uh, Paw Prince Thrift Boutique. Paw Prince Thrift Boutique. Mm -hmm. So that's another way you can help cats in this area. Um, and I mentioned in when I introduced you that um, you have devoted your life to rescuing cats, to educating the public about the welfare of outdoor cats, mm -hmm. and advocating for those who can't speak for themselves. So uh, when you are... Um, educating those of us who are listening to what you have to say now about the welfare of outdoor cats. Mm -hmm. So you really don't have to worry about uh, cats that get to live indoors and whose owners care for them, but you speak up for these cats who are outdoors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our mission is, um, you know, when you're dealing with feral cats, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to bring them inside. They're, they're unfortunately destined to be a wild animal and so the best thing you can do for their um, for their outcome is to get them spayed and neutered because it cuts down on so many behavioral issues, you know, male cats fighting with each other over a female because they're not neutered and she's not spayed, that sort of thing. So also when we take them into the vet, they get a check, you know, they get checked over for any, you know, fleas or ear mites or anything like that. So they're much more comfortable once we put them back outside. And it's an unfortunate, you know, situation, this cat overpopulation problem with cats outside. But uh, the best thing you can do for them is not just simply remove them and euthanize them or kill them. Uh, the best thing you can do is just get them spayed and neutered and put them back and let them live their lives. So if I see this cat outdoors kind of hanging around the neighborhood, it's unrealistic for me to say, oh, maybe I can adopt this cat. You know, honestly, if they're friendly, if they seem interested in you and you're feeding them and they seem to hang around the house a lot, or especially, especially around the front door or the garage, chances are they do want to come inside. <laughs> <laughs> They've been inside before, probably. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to that at all. If they're, if they're giving you all the signals, by all means, <laughs> bring them inside. I'm sure they'd love it. Uh, yeah. Okay, Sarah, I'd like to give the two websites you mentioned, the one for the uh, cat advocates, the neighborhood cat advocates. The website is NCA, like Neighborhood 
cat advocates, ncachico.org. And then if you want to get in touch with Sarah, chicocatlady.com. Yep. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Nancy. I mentioned that you are an author, so let me also remind people that you have a couple of books out illustrated by our favorite Steve Fershad. He's great. He is great. And uh, you have Clyde's Happy Trails, The Adventures Continue is your most recent episode with Clyde. Mm-hmm. The Adventures of Clyde the Rescue Cat. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. And I would also like to thank my first guest, behavior scientist Sarah Brown. Her book is The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. And next we have a segment we call The Writer's Room, and it features writers from around the North State. In the Castle. Words clamor, a sleeping dragon nestled between my ribs, tapping on the cartilage, nudging at my chest. Tomorrow, I whisper, then reside to my screen. No, the words scream, turning to flame, igniting my fingertips. You will write today. Suddenly, I am a slave to the muse as the scales of imagination and wings of possibility rush through me. The dragon will sleep no more. From atop the fortress of my objective, it smiles with contentment and relief. Smoke where the brittle words were. A creation is born from the battle in which I was intended to lose, so that while in my tower of thought I do not become a prisoner of idleness. Too vast is the castle of the mind to wander without watch and reside without the dragon, the keeper of my words, guardian of my purpose. Megan Irene. Haiku. Everything is fro-zen, except the deep mud road, blankets, bones, frost stiff. I'm Mike McMillan. For more information on the writers you've just heard, go to mynspr.org and click on the poetry link. You've been listening to Nancy's Bookshelf, a production of North State Public Radio. You can find this and other episodes of Nancy's Bookshelf on our website, mynspr.org.